Mike Murphy here welcoming you to the first Senior Times series of podcasts. Over the course of the next months, it'll be my pleasure to interview and chat to some of Ireland's most prominent and interesting people. Among them, broadcasters Ryan Tuberty and Marty Morrissey, entrepreneur and businessman Dennis O'Brien, author Deirdre Purcell, producer and director of Riverdance John McColgan, communications specialist Terry Prone and many more. We'll also be hearing from experts on pensions, health, financial planning and mindfulness. Thanks to our sponsors, Zurich Expressway, Doro and the Sports Surgery Clinic. We are privileged today to welcome as our first guest no less a personage than Uthran Heron Michael D. Higgins, social reformer, poet, politician, a man for all seasons, a veritable man for all seasons. Uh, let me start off by asking you, are you enjoying your second term as president? Yes, I am. Uh, it's what I think I can do best at this stage of my life. I think that uh, I, I, in the first term, I s saw opportunities of extending the role of the president. And it, it, this second term gives me a chance to develop these. For example, the idea that the presidency is an office that is independent. I think we have established that now. You've established, you, you've established that. But I think what is important about it, independent in another sense, it isn't bound by the issues of the day. It has to responsibly look back because people are entitled to what I believe is a community of memory, but it also has to look forward. So as president, I meet people of all ages and all circumstances. The kind of modus operandi I have is that I stay out of anything that is currently being discussed by the other decision-making parts of our constitution, the Dole and the Shannon, but I do take the long view in relation to, for example, uh, it, questions of economy and questions of ecology, questions of equality. But one of the things that I, that I decided, that it, given my life and that given how I arrived here and given my experience, was that the presidency can be a place where the, the th certain deep thinking can take place as to what is happening in Ireland and what is happening in Europe and what is happening internationally. And I, I like that for this reason, is that really the whole story of my life from being a child was any time I acquired any piece of interesting information or story or insight or whatever, the first impulse, and it was something I picked up very early, was the impulse to share it. So really, the point is, there is a particular kind of person in the presidency with a particular background. And therefore, the best thing I can do is to draw, if you like, on all those different uh, backgrounds I have had. But also, as well as that, because it isn't a case of relaying the past, it's a case of exercising imagination. So probably over the last, I would say that over the last seven or eight years, I've spent more time on the interface between philosophy, politics, economics, ecology, and so on. I, I'm very interested in in your your childhood, and in, in your book, uh, the new and collected poems, you have a number of chapters uh, prior to each section, where in prose um, you you discuss your childhood and the reasons for the the the, the next chapter series of poems, but. 
Yours was, uh, to say it was interesting is putting it mildly, but it's also an extraordinary record of a time and a life in rural Ireland that is very much in danger of being forgotten. You and I are precisely the same age. Yes. Actually, I defer to you in terms of you're six months older. You don't mind my mentioning oh, that. Oh, not Right. Um, but... Um, so I do remember the, these times. I remember the time of the poor house, yes. the, the going to mass, the different sections yes. of the church going yes. to mass. I never lived, I never lived in the country. I was a city boy. Yeah. So I never had the experience that you did. But you as a child went from being a city boy to being a country boy to coming back to being a city boy. I'd really love you to be able to describe it because, um, History is written by the winners, as, as we all know, and your own father was a victim, so to speak, of the Civil War. By the way, that's going to be commemorated soon. I wonder what... Let's not go, in, go into it, because I wonder what approach yeah. is going to be taken in that. But, well, but could I ask you, I found, I, having read about your father, he was a very tragic character. Um, but it must have been difficult for you as a child to be able to relate to your father then. I found it difficult in my own family to relate to my own father, but where you were and where there was ultimate betrayal by by his own country, I suppose, um, I think your life must have been very difficult for you. Would you mind reminiscing about how how you began, how at five years of age yeah. you went off to live with your aunt and uncle in the country? No, I was born in Limerick uh, in 1941. And I think it's a period in my father's life that, and my mother's life that, that is a happy one. I think it's very important that I say uh, I, I loved my father and, uh, and, and I still do. Uh, I just I feel that the circumstances that unfolded the background to it nationally, it's very interesting. I, before you leave, you can look at it here. Uh, uh, the Civil War was very, very important. But my father and my, my John Higgins and my uncle Peter uh, and my aunts, Kitty and Annie, all of them, they were all involved in the War of Independence. And uh, my father was an apprentice to bar and grocery in Innes and then on in Limerick and Brian Greens, and then he was the traveller for uh, Binches and Charleville and so on. And my father was really in that brigade, I think it's about 240 uh, were in that particular unit in, in Charleville during the, the War of Independence. Next door you would have Sean Moylan, and I think... My father was very important. He was the, he was important for the, for the organisation because he had the capacity to move, and because he was travelling. His I think his payment was about, because he was travelling as as, as part a of his job. Okay, yes. he was travelling. Yes, yeah. and his payment was about one hundred and thirty pounds a year, and about fifty, I think it was for travelling for his travelling expenses, but. And then when the Civil War came, my, my, meanwhile, my uncle, Peter, and my aunts, they were in East Clare, and my uncle was in, involved in, in, in 
activities in Ronnie Mark and Fergus. So, but my uncle joined the National Army. So my uncle, the uncle who reared me, my uncle Peter, was in fact in Rinmore Barracks. And then my aunts didn't take sides in the Civil War, as one of my aunts put it. Someone once asked, how could they? They had a brother on each side and, uh, yeah. and so on. But you, to your question, why that is important is that as people uh, left the, the Tin Town and the Curra, uh, said, no one would hire you. Tin Town was the camp. Tim Town was uh, the camp. So that's where he was interned. Yes, in 1923. Mm-hmm. So the point is, is my father... So he was, he was um, anti the treaty. Yes, he was. He was anti the treaty and, your, and his brother, Peter, was pro. Yes. That's it, isn't it? Yes. Okay. That's exactly. So he, he was interned in the Curra. My father was interned. What in year? In 1923. And my, my, my uncle was, meanwhile, uh, in, uh, my, my uncle would in the National Army in, in, uh, in Renmore Barracks. Was Gold, there tension between the two of them? Well, this is the whole point about it, is, is that I think it's important people understand, and it's, uh, it was really quite scandalous, is that when everything is all over and the state has been established in 1923, uh, there was what can only be described as clear discrimination in relation to those who applied for very, very modest pensions. And uh, in, the case, in, my, in my father's case, there are letters in the files that have now come out, are now published, they're in the pensions files. They asked me, did I mind them being revealed? I said, not at all, reveal anything you like. But there, uh, my father is refused again and again. And remember, you had to keep producing proofs of what you did during the War of Independence. And the people I have, many of them have immigrated, many of them have died. In fact, it is interesting that all of this continues. They kept looking for more and more information and refusing you. And and uh, uh, what happens uh, in, in the end is that I think it is a Mr. Sheehy who would be connected to the Sheehy Skeffenden family. He's the civil servant in charge, and he says this is all very unfair to, the, to, the, to, the, to these people. And he had a reconsideration of many of the cases, and that the bureaucracy was tamed a bit. But remember, uh, there was a distinction drawn between uh, uh, the the women uh, and men, for a start. There was a distinction drawn between the widows of the signatories and the widows of others who were in the GPO. There were people who were excluded and so on. I I could spend a great deal of time on it, but only to say, uh, I think, I don't believe that... the relationship of brothers was ever fully restored between my uncle no, and my no. father. I think they knew because people who you asked me and uh, tell me what happened then is, is that my father, and I think it explains why a number of people with Republican tendencies, as they would call it then, uh, uh, be, uh, be, uh, opened to public houses because you had to make your own job. So therefore, you went into the public house trade, and, where would and you that be? is what my father did. He rented. He couldn't get a job. He couldn't get his old job back. Absolutely, he was told there's no job for you here, and they won't, or for any place else for that matter. So now he's married. All the apprentices and the people in the trades went to his employer. I won't say too much about it, and said, "Will you take Johnny Higgins back?" And he said, "No." So what did he do? It's very, very much. It is. I have to always say it. 
he started life all over again in Mrs. Nolan's shop in Newbridge in Kildare. What age was he and was he married? This is the whole point. Sorry. She wasn't married. He, he started in at uh, 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 £50 a year living. Dear. He started all over again. Miss, a wonderful woman sent me a copy when I was minister 25 years ago of the corner house of Nolan's in Newbridge and with an X on a window saying this was your father's room. He lived in. Uh, yeah. So what, what, you asked me what age was his father there. I can tell you, uh, uh, he would have been uh, uh, 40. Right. And? It was, I mean, no, a worker, let, let me work. Yeah, just, just, no, I beg your pardon. He would have been about, uh, he, he, he was born in uh, 1894, so okay. he would have been, uh, what, he'd be 30. 30s, yeah. Yeah, early 30s maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And and so 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 now he's a disillusioned man. He's finding it hard to get a job. No, he, he was in fact actually he had a great win. He had a great run in, in Little Catherine Street in Limerick, and then he bought a pub number three up William Street. Yeah, where did he and get every, money? everything he was borrowing it, and everything uh, was going well. And then he, his health collapsed, and uh, and then uh, we, he married my mother. He married my mother in in, 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 in nineteen thirty seven. Thirty seven, and that, and in Mount Mallory, yes, in Mount Mallory, and then what what happened? In my uh, my twin sisters are born in nineteen thirty nine. I'm born in nineteen forty one. My brother is born in nineteen forty two. So we have four children, uh, uh, and. My uncle and aunt uh, is, uh, are living out in County Clare, which is my father's home. And it was, I think, originally uh, meant to be a, a, a temporary arrangement because with my father in hospital uh, and my mother having four children, my uncle and aunt took John and I, we were five and my brother was four, and I have described it before, that it's, it was very exciting, I think, that I remember the number of the car, i.e. 3283, so off we drive and uh, so on. In fact, much, much later, I returned to this theme uh, in a poem, I think it's the poem Brothers, uh, where I sp- sing about did we consider what it must have meant to my mother? And then there were a number of changes after that. Uh, everything is fine, I think, and they're a great benefit to the familiarity that one has with life in a small farm. Remember that if you think about it, uh, 1946, we, you had compulsory tillage, so you knew about, you knew really about, about animals and cows and calves and mm. I have walked to the fair in Six Mile Bridge with my brother in different times. Oh, had you and coming home you? again. That is one of the most miserable experiences that writers don't give enough attention to in novels, I think, is the misery of bringing the cattle home unsold, you know. But I do have uh, uh, that poem I have, uh, which is a, a recent poem, it's in that book, I think, uh, Too Close to the Ground, is an interesting play on the word scenery because people were always looking down, you know, and things like that. You're looking at what's in front of you. Yeah. It's a kind of the notion about looking at the sun setting, going up or going down. You could be quite indifferent to it if your mind was, in fact, actually making sure that the animal didn't run in someone else's field yes. and things. But the point is, uh, I, I don't describe it. This is all a, a very, very rich experience, and it, it works well until my uncle... 
uh, his, his health begins to fade. Suddenly my aunt dies suddenly. Now, this is years later. I mean, I was astounded to realise that I think... That's my re- best poem, I think, by the way, one of my best poems. I, the poem I like, having written, is The Death of Mary Doyle, which is about a different poem, but the one, I think, Katie's song, I recorded it somewhere once. It's so a, this is a your poem. aunt. That's the poem to sing back to my well, aunt. Well, now, you, you, I, I was astounded to realise that you and John spent in, would it be 13 years or so, living with the, your aunt and uncle? Yes, yeah. Would that be right? Yes, So indeed, in other words, uh, that, they're, they're the formative years. Well, and uh, Did you miss your mother uh, and father? Me, did you me, see me. them very often? Yes, I went in and out. We went, first of all... The, the, You're the, now in County Clare. To getting, yes, trying to, tell, trying to get it right. I think um, certainly... Uh, I think for, for yes, about for about twelve years. But at a certain stage, then uh, there are other kind of little setbacks. My father uh, uh, eventually, after moving, when his business collapses and that, and my twin sisters and my mother and father are living. My mother and father, yes, are living in uh, different flats in Limerick and whatever. They eventually get a local authority house, and so on. Bush, they are in expectation that it would be better to be back out the country rather than being. This was perceived, oh, I think, as a kind of a drop in status. So the thing then about it is, as they move out, you, we are all together then for a while. My mother, my father. Where is this now? Back in, 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 in County Ballycar and County Clare. In oh, this, oh, they in, moved out to the out they to did, the country. Yes, from yeah. mine, yes, and we're all together for a short while. We're all together for a while, and then my aunt dies, and uh, then after that, my uncle uh, gets ill, and at this stage, what is happening? I think in many many cases was. The, the, the house had one room slated and two rooms attached. The sheer management of the tatch begins, you begin to get holes that are not repaired or whatever. Why was the one room uh, slated in many cases? There were ten in my father's family and one of them, uh, one of his sisters, Margaret, was, a, 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 I think, a, a nurse. She's one of the Royal College of Nursing. She was a, one of those nurses for, that served in, one in Palestine and in uh, uh, and Egypt and elsewhere. And she came back and she was a public health nurse in, in Limerick. And she had, I think, got as far as slating that per, one part of the house. But it didn't kind of ever get finished. And it, 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 No, so then, uh, the, I don't say much about this, but you, you, you said, we're at the same, we are at the same age, so therefore you will know you didn't have free secondary education that time. What about, what about the national school? You, you, presumably, you, you went to the local national yes, school. Yes, the one-room you, you school. You and John. Yeah. I did, a one-room school, was it? Yes, a one-room school where Mrs. Hay, Miss Hay, she only died a few months ago. I sent someone to her funeral. She was in charge of the, the junior classes facing this way. And uh, Mr. Clune, William Clune, brother of Connor Clune, the, the, the volunteer who was shot, uh, he was, in fact, the. the I have written. Uh, I gave uh, John Quinn a number of interviews about his pedagogic techniques. He was a wonderful man. He knew to we'd got. He would occasionally, in warm weather, bring us out of the school. He knew the names of plants in Irish and English and Latin, and he would teach the history of the area by pointing to different things. And he also was a kind man. If a child was sick, he'd bring the child home in the bar of his bicycle. And then near the end, because I stayed. 
I didn't go to school when I was seven, but I stayed on an extra year in the national school. And I would occasionally, if he had to bring a child home, I would mark things up and do things like that. You, go back to the room itself. It was a one-room school. Yes. And were there two classes in the one room? Is oh, the, everyone was within the one room. And, there, and was two, there was a fireplace at each end. And you had another class behind you? You had, yes, you and that, yeah. And sometimes then you'd move out to side to the school in the, in the warm weather. And it was a kind of like a whole mud uh, 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 affair. And then there was the... the, the the, the, the toilets that were there, which, uh, for it, obviously, you're going to have sensitive listeners, so I won't go into any <laughs> deep descriptions there. <laughs> but pretty off-putting, <laughs> I'd imagine. It wouldn't have much sense. No. And did you... How far away was the school from you? Yes, not that far. We, 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 uh, uh, the, the farm intervened in the school. Uh, uh, it's best if I described it about five fields away. Ah, okay, yeah. But would you, in the summer, would you go barefoot? Yes, obviously, everyone did. Everyone did, didn't they? It wasn't necessarily because you hadn't got shoes. Oh, no, 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 not at all. In fact, actually, this is the interesting thing about it, is for when things were... My aunt would have got great, great pleasure out of covering copybooks and so forth and that. And then the other thing about it is... is, uh, is, uh, There was a travelling library that came to the school... And that was part of the things when you were, when I was in sixth, seventh class or whatever like that, you'd be kind of giving out the books and things like that. You could get up to three books. And then the, there were other occasions as well where uh, I think all the windows would be blinded up and there would be a kind of, it might have even be a film. Oh. And, and then, uh, then I remember Dennis Franks. Dennis Franks, actor. Yes, he was an actor, a raconteur. Indeed, but he kind of gives Shakespeare, you see. Of course. And and that's what was in that as well. When I think back about that period as well, about in County Clare as well, the importance that there was to, to... uh, stories and the importance that there was to conversation and that. I think... I think actually, uh, 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 my aunt and uncle, even when they were getting in film, they always got the paper. Mary McMahon would occasionally collect it in the village for them, but you always ask the person anything happening in the village. The mm. idea that you were no good at all if you had been in the village and you had nothing to, no you story to come home. You brought home the news. And yeah. and, and you so mean you've nothing to tell us? Yeah. And when you think about that now, in many major cases, I mentioned uh, to you earlier about a professor whose work I'm very interested in at the moment, Professor Hartmut Rosa of Jena University in Germany, in that is that he speaks about a catastrophe of feeling. In other words, is that. The digitalization. Carney, Richard Carney, has something like the same too, I think. And that is, is that uh, uh, you have hardly any touch or hearing or stories. You have it all. In fact, actually, you're communicating electronically, and you're, you're, uh, you, you miss a great deal well, of you these see, intimacies of feeling. Frank, to be perfectly frank with you, that's why I think you're verbalizing the life that you that people led in those yeah. years is invaluable for from an archive point of view. Absolutely invaluable. You know that the error though is a very old one, but one of the things that you could conclude from even where where, where we are now, uh, it was very unlikely uh, that um, I would ever 
ever get near a third level institution. Mm. And it was actually lucky that, in fact, I managed to get second level education. I boarded, somebody gave us money, who kind of got credit as well at St. Flannan's College. And I was a boarder for two years. And then John, my brother, and I cycled the eight and a half miles to Innes every morning and afternoon with all the books piled up in the back. I, and he, he had started in the Christian Brothers. And then when I, the third year with that the two of us went to St. Flannan's College and then we came back. Meanwhile, my sisters uh, uh, were struggling to f- find access because of what was there for them. Uh, and we didn't have very, we didn't have very much. And uh, they would later uh, emigrate at 20 years of age. I think that how it happened was that uh, British Rail recruited by uh, giving you a ticket from your nearest railway station, a job in the cafeteria in Manchester, and they looked after your accommodation for the first month or two. Why, in many, many cases, one of my sisters was working for 30 shillings a week and the other one was working for a pound a month, I think it was, with uh, with, uh, one and sixpence deducted for your uniform as an apprentice confectioner. And were they sending and this was Ireland, home? and you might say to me about mm. it all in many, many cases, uh, 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 you know, uh, this is between, between 1955 and 1960, a quarter of a million people left Ireland, yeah. uh, about 50 to 55,000. There's no year less than 50, 50 to 55,000 every year. I remember they but, went... <laughs> Yeah. Would work in Coventry and the, yes. on the cars. But, but working. what was available at home, it has always been to me, uh, uh, which now uh, at the age I am and in the position I am, I look back and I often ask myself the question, how strong was the equality tendency, this little lamp of equality? Was it not a very, very small flickering mm. light in the midst of all this nationalism? Mm. And uh, yeah. this is why, for example, yeah. as well, by the way, you would see one of the things since Sabine and I came here is you have public sculpture of Pangor Braun in there. But that's Imogen Stewart, isn't it? But we also have the, the public sculpture where since the acorn. But right across from it, you have Sean O'Casey and the Plough and the Stars and a piece mm. we have put in here in honour of O'Casey. What was O'Casey said about poverty? He, he said, said it is like a disease of the I blood. Like a disease uh, of it, the bones. It, it, it never leaves you. Yeah. It never leaves you. That's Wait, did, one. did you li- live in poverty in those no, years? Well, oh, it's relative. I wasn't short. Uh, there, there was a period when, when it was necessary for us to live in credit. And we were given credit by. Uh, I remember we we uh, from a family. I'm Joe Rourke was later in Newmarket and so on. These were things where these are things that, in a way, you know. You, you don't realize. I, I don't. I, when I say you don't at the time, you know, they do hurt you at the time. There's no point in minimizing it, and I know a lot about it later. But the most interesting thing to me, and you're, if you're doing it, if you're, if you're trying to make to be honest about it, is you you have a clear choice. Do you decide, for example, to put a gloss on all of this, or to say that it never happened and draw some amnesic curtain down on it, or do you say that it should feed into your? Your life in in relation to what you do, mm. it, it has it has affected my politics. It has affected my life now, and basically it is that no one should have had to inf- st- 
struggle as much as we did to simply to live, uh, to have, I think, to, to uh, as well as that, to, for education. And I think maybe above all else, it was after she had lost it. I was born in Belford Park in Limerick. My mother spent all of her life hoping and praying for a house again. Mm. And therefore, the point is, is that what you do in, uh, in, in many cases are in... In different, you can, maybe there are people who are very happily compartmenting their lives, lives uh, between what they do recreationally and what they do and otherwise. I wasn't ever very interested. That's in fact maybe is where there is an instinct to the poetic. Yeah. The poetic suggests to you that you should bring things together, but also that you are not dominated by them, mm. but that you kind of make an imaginative leap. To yes. things that might never have been. That, that, and that's wonderful. But they're an important part of the whole, aren't yes. they? Um, yes. I, can I go back to your mother and father? I'm thinking about them. And you mentioned your yes. mother there. And your mother, God help her, she and he must have had a very, very hard life. You, you and John are living down in County Clare. Yes. They're living a pretty hard life. He's, he's, he's kind of, he's not being treated well by society. He was on the losing side. And uh, he's not being treated well by the, the new government. Um, and then he, he buys a pub. And then you said at the outset, I really loved my father. Did he really love you? Did, no, I'm sure he did. But did he ever show you affection? Well, this is one that people... Uh, I think that he did in a very, very restrained way. Um, uh, if you think about it in that particular period, it was associated with the ethos of the time. People didn't touch each other yeah. very much. People didn't uh, weren't very effusive and so on. But they did care. I remember something that I haven't written about before. In many cases, he had come out from Limerick to visit us, and there was a mile and a half of a, of a walk from our house to the bus in the market, and I walked about halfway with him, and he said to me, you've walked far enough. And he had nothing to give me except a badge he had on his coat, which was uh, a Mount Mallory badge, actually. And uh, I would, because I was in digs through my life later on, uh, uh, I lost it. Something, one of the things I missed deeply. The other thing on another occasion, uh, he had left for John and I, something like that. We, we had, when during his period in the car, it made a clatter ring with, uh, out, you know, you battered out a sixpence and you put a hole in it, and then you made all of these. And my father also had great skills as well. He was able, as I have said, and maybe before, he was able to, sh to sole shoes and mark out leather. And uh, as well as that, he, had, he was able to cut uh, uh, cloth and so on. And I remember, even in relation to my sisters, my father was so competent in relation to these skills and everything that he would, could go into a shop and get a dress that, uh, uh, and take it out on a probation, and he'd make the exact same thing for, for my same many. He could copy it. He could copy he, it. He could. And make it up. Yes. And these are, these are, and when you think, when I think about, uh, uh, about all these skills in Ireland, when I think about all the people that, when I think about all the people that had these skills. But the other side of it is, is that I don't l l look for anything. Uh, but the truth of it was, is that 
uh, it was hardest, I think, on my mother. Mm. We were at a certain stage when we are all together, uh, when there are uh, uh, two uh, uh, women's coats and the thing, and there are three women, and my mother mm. and my uh, yeah. and my two sisters are sharing two coats between them. And that is why, in a way, then, when by a whole series of accidents, John and I both worked in factories in Shannon, then I worked in the SP in Galway, then I got a loan of some money, and which I paid, and then I went to England every summer, and then I got scholarships on, and I make my way into the university. And then to me, it is, this is to say, what do you do then? Do you take off and say that, you, that, that all of this is behind you and you should never record? Not at all. Mm. I actually am far more interested in saying why... Uh, are, uh, why uh, in a republic, and because it's 48, we're since 48, we're a republic, why, why cannot the necessities of life uh, uh, be met? And then much later when I, uh, I offered these views in a place that had very little prospects of being elected in Galway West, and the people elected me, and I'm very grateful to them, and they were very good to me, uh, and... Uh, and then I become minister, and then so on. And, and it takes off. So it's a kind of a set of miracles. One of the reasons I'm happy to talk to you about this is to say to any girl or boy who may be ever listening to it, or their parents or their grandparents, is that these miracles happen to me and can happen to them. Uh, there were many, many times of, the, of great despair, many great times of great hopelessness in, uh, in my life, many cases. I'm not saying that they wouldn't, won't occur again. But the one thing that I do say about it all is that uh, there are certain things that, if you are determined, uh, that in a way that it isn't only about determination, is that I was lucky to. And, uh, and but what did my, my, my mother always valued books. My aunt loved reading and so on, loved to, so forth. We need to be able uh, to discuss things together in Ireland. And we need to be able as well to have a sense of humour about... Uh, uh, the, 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 you know, people... One of the things that enable... One of the reasons I think that people, for example, put up with a lot of landlords is that many of the people just laugh at their absurdities. Hmm. You might as well, but, but I, this is why I don't think you. We should. Uh, we should be. Uh, this. You know how much work I have put into the idea of what I call um, uh, uh, remembering and remembering properly. Mm. I discussed this in, in this office with the, the the president of Greece recently, uh, the former president of Greece, President Prokopios Pavlopoulos. And I said to him, we were discussing in memory, and I said to him, you take the Greek villages into which the German army is marching, and so forth, and some of the villages, all the males will be put to death. Mm. And the mayor actually makes a stand, and a few German soldiers are lost, and so forth. Do you say that all the males of the village and the people who are invading to them are exactly the same? It's a tragedy that no, anyone loses their life but there is a falsity in saying that they are equivalent. Mm. They're not. They're not. And that's where you are morally challenged to do mm. the work on how you, you have to remember things differently. You remember with respect mm. and you remember with different degrees of respect for different elements and 
then your uh, intentionality comes into it. If you have a free travel card, did you know that you can use it on expressway coach services all across Ireland? Travel from Cork City to Sligo Town, catch a flight from Dublin Airport, or visit the home of the Titanic? Adventure awaits! And with reclining leather seats and free Wi-Fi, getting there is half the fun. Where will you go? Hop on board or visit expressway.ie. Can I go back to your father? I'm sorry if you think I'm not harping on it. It it does kind of fascinate me and it is such a seminal seminal part of your early life. Um, He, in two of your poems, one, one of them, for example, I remember... Uh, his two dogs were poisoned with strychnine by That's a, a very, very... And his anger, he, he, naturally, he was so upset. He was devastated by it, Well, it's, he? it's a very, very interesting... It's, uh, that, that's, this is now when he's in the country, when you're... Yeah, that's one of my very... That, that's one of the last poems. That, that's one of my very, very later poems. It's in New and, 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 New and Selected. It's one of the newer poems. And uh, it took me some time to write it. But... This is, uh, you know, uh, in Hardy's novel, Clem Yobright, when he goes out and he's on the mountain picking sticks and so forth. In other words, he has mm-hmm. recoiled to nature. My father, in many ways, when things were tough, and, uh, and would occasionally head off with his dogs and so forth. There was a while when he got, had a project of clearing furs from a thing. I remember him with him, trying to just trying to eliminate furs is very difficult. Pulling them, I think it, it was. I don't think I can't remember when I heard the word gorse for the first time. We call them furs and clear. So you were pulling these in many cases, and the dogs are your companions. And we have always, it's a kind of a thing in the family anyway, we've always loved animals as yeah, well. you've got dogs here, I have. in the orus. But the point about it is, is and, 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 and the dogs' intelligence is very underestimated, and horses do. But one of the things is that it was a terrible thing, and I think it, 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 the person mightn't have been well. Uh, who, who might he knew who it was who, oh, who yes, did the boy's did, name. Yeah, yeah. Did he ever approach the no. person? No, no. But he was very, very touched. You, well, you, he had to watch the dog. Uh, to do that to a dog, the dog dies, doesn't die instantly. Oh yeah, the, the death must have been horrible. Yeah. yeah. Horrible. Um, you, and you mentioned animals and how intelligent yes. they are. One, another of your poems is this. Oh, you're, so much of your life, you see, is in these poems. That's my time. And another one is no, the one I the one I found very interesting was the red cow dying. Oh yes. And mm-hmm. how important the, uh, this was savage a savage blow to your mother and to the family. Yeah, it's it? the transition point in a way because you see, as long as you have milk, you you always have something. And you must remember for a long how many for a long long period in Ireland even. Coming up to the famine period, people would have stolen potatoes in the, in the, during the day, practically, but they would have milk and so so forth. But in in in, <clears throat> in that case, in relation to it, it was the death of a cow. Is uh, first of all, you kept that cow a long time, and uh, if you if you, uh, I was I was pre milking machine. If people if I know how to milk a cow, but uh, you, you know you, how you, to plow. No, but your your you forehead the, your yeah. forehead is very near the udder of the cow. You know, in fact, actually, I've written somewhere about that. And then, uh, you, you uh, as 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 you go, you you develop intimacies with uh, with, um, with 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 the animals. And but the other side of it is. Uh, 
having mil- and, and the transition is from uh, the, the, these are the transitions which many farmers today will know and uh, the transition is when you stop having a source of your own food then you begin to rent out the land you on passong you may have sold the machinery and the equipment and even to this day, I find when I would, when I went down once, there not a few years ago, was president to the car, and I, I said to Aidan O'Brien that I wanted to see how he prepared the horses for the races more than anything else. But when you, when you look at uh, pieces of leather and harness and so forth, and that are uh, that you use for tackling and things mm. like that, put on, and all of these instruments, or you go down to Johnstown Castle and so on. It's very easy to see all of these, but remember that uh, our ancestors' hands were on these handles of these things and so forth. Yes. And you have a, this is to, isn't to say that you don't have the same intimacies of feeling in the cities. It's just mm. different. But it is why, you know, in a way, uh, when I was minister for art, culture and the Gaelic, then I had responsibility for heritage and so forth. I remember a house being handed over to the Irish people and all so on. I remember I couldn't restrain myself from saying, you know, you, you should remember now that your ancestors would have been polishing the tureens and <laughs> the more skilled of them would have been building the stone walls here for the, yes. as we go in and, and so on, you know, kind of, because they weren't exact. And That's when right. we go in, which is wonderful, it won't be your ancestors that will be in the paintings either, you know. That's right. That's for sure. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, yes. it, 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 don't, I don't say that forget. to knock anything, but only to say that the heritage of those from below yeah. is uh, is as important. As important, as absolutely. Well, you know that better I, than me. All well, I'm not better than you, but I do know it. Um, the, the, the one of the most touching poem, probably I I would say now, probably your most yeah. famous poem. You're probably tired of it. Yeah. Um, is the betrayal? It and is. Yeah. It, it it is the poem that um, you wrote about leaving your father to the poorhouse. Now. There will be people listening to us who will say, what was the poorhouse? Well, it was called the county home, I think. Or, well, or the, it had been called the county hospital. It might have changed. In fact, actually, because we usually had a panoply of saints to bail us out of all of this, it was called St. Joseph's. To, to put a gloss on put, things. Put it, <laughs> yeah, but that's they, quite... They, 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 I think... Uh, uh, I had I, I stayed with a wonderful landlady. My salary and uh, ASB, I'm grade eight, retired. You know those generals that <laughs> yes. retired afterwards? But anyway, it was six pounds 14 and twopence a week. And uh, I paid three pounds 10 digs and then I have some money. Could, my you, brother be more, John could, was could you be more precise? I couldn't. <laughs> the way you remember it. My, my, my brother John looked after things very much. Uh, 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 at home. At that stage, we had moved to living in, in, in uh, my mother and John and myself when I would go home uh, to the little house uh, that next to where the railway gates were in Banakar, where you had, you were in charge of the gates, keeping them closed. Oh, and, and you that. were opening the gates for the people to go yeah, through that and closing them for the trains, yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing. But the thing is that my mother and father and brother were, but the... Uh, the thing about it all, about that poem, uh, invested, you see, 
if you look, the text to the poem in many, many ways, there was nowhere for you to go uh, if you became ill. Like, he, he took uh, ill. And, and uh, he, was, he was in ill a long, long while. He had very, very kind of pneumonia and he wasn't getting better and so forth. So then he moves over to, the, to, the, to there. I'm in, uh, in uh, Galway. I tome a lift down to... Innes, I go in and... What age were you, do you mind my asking, but approximately at this time? Uh, it was about in, in, in 1964. I'd been 23. Okay, so you're 23, okay. Yeah. And, uh, and then uh, when I go in, and I, I at this stage I'm studying history and studying other things and all the rest of it, but... I'm very conscious uh, of that there were many other people from uh, the War of Independence who were there as well. And that gave me the, con the concept of the idea of I'm writing this and I'm experiencing this in about 1964. Mm. So, yeah. so at this stage we were a very confident Ireland. We've been a republic since 1948. As I say, he died between the first programme for economic expansion yeah. in 1958 to 63, and the second. And therefore, when, when the things like that, that, that poem, I began it, and it is many years later that, uh, that I finish it. <coughs> because it's when I'm coming up and down on the train to Galway. I, I remember when the time I finished it. I finished it in. Uh, I finished it in, uh, uh, and and I, I I know that my eyes were full of tears because yeah. it is a, it is a it's a it's a tough poem. Do you mind awfully if I ask you to read just the first and maybe last verse? Would yeah, you, because there are parts of it. I would it's very long. Uh, yes, it's kind of a fine long poem. It's a it's a fantastic poem. I have to, I really do believe. Well, it opens with the betrayal, a poem for my father. This man is seriously ill, the doctor had said a week before, calling for a wheelchair. It was after they rang me to come down and persuade you to go in. And goes on then, condemned to remember your eyes as they met mine in that moment. Before they wheeled you away, it was one of my final tasks to persuade you to go in. And it goes on. And then it ends, in the, which is a very much... A, I think when I say, I look at your photo now, taken in the beginning of bad days with your surviving mates in Limerick, your face haunts me as do these memories, and all these things have been scraped in my heart, and I never hope to forget what was, after all, a betrayal. But I have to say that about that poem, it wasn't so much that my, for example, walking away, which people... So many people have today, and as they'll hear this, be walked to walk away from circumstances. It was also, in a way, I had a, a strong sense of the people I had seen. Mm. Uh, I, in the course of that long poem, I describe um, the way uh, which people, the state was trying to manage things at best. On a very long table, all the potatoes would be put into a big dish in which they all put out their hand for a potato and things like that and put it on a plate and so forth. And uh, uh, I, I have a striking image in there, which was the one where I say that I watched the long thumbnail peeled potato, the thumbnail that had marked the leather on the sole of the shoe that my father had made for me. Yeah. yeah. 
But I think... Uh, Did he resent you leaving him? Pardon? Did he resent you leaving him to the home? I don't know that he'd he think... I think that he he's had been quite numbed in the expectations of life before that because uh, I have elsewhere written about those uh, whom I saw praying at the, the in front of St. Jude and churches in Limerick and so forth. And I... Uh, I don't want it to appear that it is, this is uh, what has this given me, uh, mm. in a way. Uh, I don't have uh, uh, an abstract view of life at all. Uh, I, no. I have experienced certain things, but uh, the one thing about it is that it's, isn't it a great to be able to write about all of these it, things? It's great to be able to write about it and to reflect on it as succinctly as you do. Health-wise, yeah. you, you, you appear to me to be very healthy, but is that just a, a happy illusion? Well, look, uh, Carl Jung said that the only way to manage aging was to see yourself living to 300. Oh, <laughs> so, so we both have a bit to go. Oh, I'm delighted to hear it. President Michael D. Higgins, it's been a pleasure speaking with you and thank you for allowing us access to your study here in Orozorukhtaro. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Mike. I'm delighted that uh, Zurich have decided to support us in our little venture here on this podcast. And uh, I, I do believe any advice that you can get on providing for your retirement for those later silver or are they golden years, I'm not too sure. I might have another expression for them myself, but still, I'm delighted that um, Zurich have decided to come in on the whole thing. And I'm pleased to welcome here Kristen Foran, who is the National Sales Director. And basically, I'd like to talk to you, Kristen, about provisions for retirement and pensions just in general and it's a kind of a revisionary thing looking back on what should you have been doing and if I could begin on that thread at what age would you say one should start making provisions for one's retirement? Yeah it's a a tough one because really it, it comes down to what you want from your retirement I mean the thinking would be that when you retire what does your income need to look like? So, you know, ideally you'd want it to be maybe 50 up to 75% of your current income when you're working, you know. And that was always the way we thought of retirement income. But life has changed a lot, so it depends on what your outgoings would be. Traditionally, you would have thought that if you had retired, your mortgage might be gone. Your children might have left home. So your expenses would be lower. But that's not happening anymore. So now people are retiring and they still have mortgages because they've had them for longer. Maybe they've gone through negative equity years or bad times in the recession. And children aren't leaving home as much as they used to before. So if you take a couple and maybe are starting children later, as people are now, they're having children maybe in the late 30s, early 40s, you can have your children home well into your 70s. Yeah. You know? So can you afford a lower income in retirement really is the thinking. So it all depends on your own situation. I suppose the, the best advice really is the more money you have put aside for your retirement, the more options you have when you retire. So on that basis, it's never too early to start a pension once you start working, even if you start at, start at a really small level. But the thinking is, get as much as you can get into the pot, mm-hmm. and then you've got lots of leeway then when you yeah, go to retire. Yeah, you have options. You have options, exactly. And the fact is, you, you are not now in a full-time job, and you have time on your hands, and sure. you're going to want to try and fill the time. And you can only do so many walks in a day. Well, sure. Some people may want to stay on in employment. That's something else that's happening now. Some people do try to stay on employment later, and some people you know, want to take yeah. a part-time employment. So it may be an option to you, but it may not be. You may, you may not be physically well enough to be able to do that either. 
But without having your own private pension, you're dependent on a state pension. Yeah. And the state pension, while it's generous, I suppose, in worldwide and European standards in Ireland, is, is it something that's actually going to sustain you in retirement? And that's difficult to see how that would happen. I suppose there's also a question of will the state pension still be there in another 10, 15, 20 years? Absolutely. And if you look at some of the statistics coming through from the Central Statistics Office, it's hard to see how it will be. So we look at this thing called the old age dependency ratio. And at the moment, we have maybe five people working for every one person retired. So in essence, what that means is when five people are working and they're handing up the taxes every month, that money is going to pay out pensions there and then. It's a pay-as-you-go system. For that one person? For one person, So five employed are paying for one? Well, not necessarily five employed, but we have enough money in the coffers when five people are paying in that we can pay the state pension. If we look at the figures from the CSO in 40 years' time, we'll have maybe two people working for every one person retired. It's hard to see how there'll be enough money to pay the state pension at the level it's at at the moment. It's very hard to see how that could actually happen. So it'll either diminish or it could perhaps disappear altogether? Lots of things could happen. So you've probably seen in the last few years, the um, age of retirement has increased. So we were at 66, gone to 67, and by 2028, it'll be 68. So that's one of the ways we can actually you know, mm. see with this problem is have people retire later. So the, bur- the burden on the government isn't as big. But yeah, we could get to the point where we can't afford to do it, or we could get to the point where we say, it doesn't matter how long you've paid in your stamps for years. Mm. You just have to look at a basis of doing something that's based on your income. So it'd be means tested in the future. So there's lots of things that can happen. I suppose we can't preempt the future. You know, to say you'll always be guaranteed to get a state pension, I think is taking a chance that I certainly wouldn't want to take myself. What about the sandwich generation? You do have to you do have to feel sorry for that generation because Absolutely. they have the, they might have children at school, Absolutely. but they also might have aged or aging parents yeah. to whom they have a responsibility. Perhaps those same parents gave them the deposit on a house, Absolutely. maybe, so they need to look after them. That's a tough situation to find yourself in Absolutely. and and to try and provide for your own future. Absolutely. So you're, you're looking to, to provide for your children who you want the best for. And also, you know, they need the best education if they're going to succeed in the current marketplace. They're also going to stay at home with you longer, so you might be supporting them longer. You will, may have your parents look after in the future. You yourself may be in a home where you still have negative equity issues from the recession. So the sandwich generation, which I suppose are the kind of mid-40s, 50s generation, could be really, really struggling in this place. Look, the reality is there is no easy answer for this generation. But the only thing you can do is try your best to start saving towards your future and saving for a pension. One of the things that works really well when we look at saving for pensions is this idea of compounding. So you start saving small and over time, because you'll keep getting investment returns on your money, Mm. it'll keep growing for you. So even if you don't have much to start off, but you start off with whatever you can afford. And that's where a good financial advisor will help you out. They'll be able to look through your finances and see where they can help you there. I was going to talk to you about that. Yeah. And, and I spoke to my son uh, about um, pension. And I, just, I was just saying to him, look, I hope you are taking cognizance of it. And he said, well, I am beginning to think about it. Now, he's in his early 40s now. Mm-hmm. and uh, But he said, one of the problems that I might have is in the kind of business I'm in, I might be able to put aside a few hundred um, euros this month, but I mightn't be able to put aside as many euros next month. Sure. So is it possible to, to meet a financial advisor type person and arrange that kind of a, a program? 
Absolutely. I mean, everyone's situations will be different. You know, pensions used to be quite inflexible, quite structured things, but that's changed in recent years. So with the advent of PRSAs or personal retirement savings accounts, one of the things that, that the requirement was for those was that they would be more flexible, that you could move them around with you if you moved employment, that you could increase premiums or decrease premiums. So there's always a way, you know, to do this. Um, and, and some people pay in yearly, some people pay in monthly. Yeah. You know, there's plenty of options. The key is really to get started. But where does somebody like my, my son go? I mean, okay, you've mentioned financial advisors, but sure. I think there's a feeling of, oh my God, if I go to a financial advisor, one, they're going to cost me money, and two, they're not going to necessarily be independent. Sure, you have choices, certainly. So most financial institutions have employees that can help you with financial advice, financial planning, but also there's definitely a huge amount of independence out there. So what you'd be looking at is the insurance broker market or the financial broker market, we'd call it. There's about 1,100 of these in the country, just huge amounts of them. And you'll find them online very easily. Lots of them have websites. You'll be able to see Yeah, but if I go to them, them, have I to pay them to have a meeting with them? Not necessarily. They all work very differently, as, as would any group of self-employed individuals. Yeah. Some will ask for payment up front, some will, will offer for payment up front. Some yeah. could do, yes. Some could tell you they charge by the hour. Others won't, but if they set up a product, they may take a commission from the insurance company they set it up for. Well, that would appeal to me much exactly. more so if they're getting their commission exactly. on what me, with my sad little investments, sure. are going to be made, that the insurance company, supposing sure. you went directly to the company, supposing you went to the Zurich Life, for example. If you went directly to the company, all people who work for the company company should be employed, therefore they're salaried. So you would not be charged a fee by a company directly. So in fact, I mean, I'm not in any way trying to say don't go to a financial advisor. I'm thinking about my my own son's situation. It sounds to me in what you said, probably he, he might be better advised to go straight to the insurance company and not, not necessarily Mike you know no. if you know what you want and you know the company you want to invest in, that that might seem like the right option however what you do get from the the independent market out there is that they will look at all companies and see yeah. which company has the right products for you because you know I can sit here and tell you our products yes. are the best but they're the best you know that I see but yeah. I'm, not, I'm not an independent. So if you go and look to talk to independent brokers, they will search the whole market okay. and see what suits you in your situation, in your time of life. But could you say, I don't want you to charge me money up front you because I'm hard up? You can absolutely have that conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. You can. Yeah, of course you can. And you only go to the one that is going to look around absolutely. and will get their commission from the company absolutely. that they, that they go many, with. There's many, many options here. There's many options. Okay. Now, what are the, the choices and what are the decisions that you would have to make if you were stepping into it at age, say you're age 50. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing I suppose you have to decide is how much you can afford to put away. And what you think you can afford may not be actually what you can afford. And this is where an advisor would help you because they look at things like tax relief. So there are, there's huge tax advantages to taking out a pension in Ireland. So, for example, if you're 50 years of age, you can have up to 30% tax relief on your earnings. Now, that's subject to an earnings cap of 115000 a year. So it's still quite generous. So you can put a large amount of money away into a pension and you get tax relief on it. Total tax relief. You get tax relief at your high tax rate. Yeah. So I mean that's a very good So even if to you're have. now 50, 55 exactly. years of age. Yeah. You could you can still write off a big chunk of your earnings if you can afford to do so. Yeah, and in fact, what the government have done have been very generous with tax reliefs the older you get because they know a lot of people probably don't start saving until later in life. So, for example, if you get to 60 years of age and you put money away into the pension, that 30% rises to 40%. 
So the closer you get, exactly. So the Does closer it? you get, the more you can put away and get tax relief on it. And you've also the other benefit that the closer you're getting to retirement, the more chance you are of seeing that money coming out the other side very, very quickly. Because you might see people who are 25 going, I don't want to save in a pension. I can't see it for 40 years. Absolutely. Whereas if I'm 60, I know it could be out in five or six years yeah. time and I can actually access money then yeah. while getting a big amount of tax relief on it now. So it's a very tax efficient way of actually putting money it in is, the pension. It is, isn't it? Particularly in that age group over 50. Exactly. Yeah. Um, let me ask you finally, are women at a disadvantage here? I mean, I do sometimes think they are because they might be taking maternity leave. There are many ways where they are possibly at a bit of a disadvantage. Absolutely, there are disadvantages. So what we see at the moment when people save into a pension, I mean, pension is a savings pot of money. So you're saving into this pot of money that you're going to use for your retirement. At the moment, what we see is women's pots of money tend to be like a third lower than men's. So it's quite different. And you're right, there's lots of issues there. One of them is women taking breaks for things like maternity leave. Some women leave the workforce, maybe when the children are still very young, maybe they go back later on. So the pots can be much smaller. You also have other issues like the gender pay gap. So there's still a pay gap there between men and women. So it means the amount they might be putting by might be lower as well. So it is a huge issue for women, definitely. And it's a problem that needs to be addressed. If you think about what happens when you retire, women are living five years longer than men. Yeah. You know, and I don't know about other women, but I certainly probably have more expenses and outcomes than most men I know. You know, I like to spend on clothes, hair, beauty, all that kind of thing. So I need more money, I think, in retirement than most men I would know. So it's definitely an issue for women right now. They need to be looking at their pensions. Do you mind if I ask you something? Sure. You're the National Sales Director in Zurich. Uh, now tell me this. Is there, is there a pay gap in your situation? Or did you say, no way, Jose, <laughs> whatever he's getting? I'm, I'm comfortable there's no pay gap in there's my situation. There's no pay situation, gap in your situation. In my particular That's... situation. But, you know, that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist, you know. Yeah. And it exists in many industries, you know. Um, you know. The good news is, you know, that there's been a lot of legislation coming through in the last few years trying to make sure that pay gap is eradicated. So hopefully that will change over time. But the situation with women taking breaks off to, to have children may change you may not. Yeah. I mean, you'll probably see legislation coming through now that means men are getting more time off and they're being encouraged to take more parental leave to balance yeah. this out. So it may happen, it may change, but it's slow change. I tell it's you, it's change. only when you get to my great age that I am and I just realise, am I glad I managed to get a modest enough pension but a pension nonetheless that enables me to do certain things. And I'll tell you something, I do make a point with any of my own children or any young people I get the opportunity to speak to, to say, make sure if at all possible sure. you put something aside for your later years yeah it's a tough one young people as you say the sandwich generation they wonder can they afford it at all young people probably don't have the interest they won't see the money back mm -hmm. in years to come but the reality is the old age pension now is about a thousand euro a month yeah. you can't rent anywhere in Dublin for less than two thousand a month yeah. so how would you live you know how would you pay the bills yeah. never mind enjoy your retirement take trips never mind away. eat you know and that's the reality <laughs> yeah. of it if you were to work at what it would cost you to live in old age it's not going to be cheap, you know, yeah, based on what we know currently. Yeah. So a thousand euro a month is a start, but it's yeah. certainly not going to be yeah. everything that you're going to need. I find it very difficult to see how anyone is going to live on yeah. that. I enjoyed that little chat. Thank you very so much for Thank coming in. That was Kristen Foran, the National Sales Director of Zurich Life. Being future ready, it's a powerful feeling. Like getting nothing but green lights on the Friday commute home. Now we're moving. Feel powerful about your future. Talk to a financial broker about a pension powered by Zurich or visit Zurich.ie. 
Zurich Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. If you have a free travel card, did you know that you can use it on expressway coach services all across Ireland? Travel from Cork City to Sligo Town, catch a flight from Dublin Airport, or visit the home of the Titanic? Adventure awaits! And with reclining leather seats and free Wi-Fi, getting there is half the fun. Where will you go? Hop on board or visit expressway.ie. Delighted to welcome to our little podcast here, uh, Derek Bell. Now, let me tell you who Derek Bell is. Derek Bell is the Chief Operating Officer of the Retirement Planning Council of Ireland. Now, I must be brutally honest, I did not know such an organisation, such an august organisation existed. And I'm delighted to hear that there is one, because Derek, in all honesty, the the logic of precisely what your title is, is unbending. And I mean, it is absolutely what people should be doing. In, In other words, I'm sure you're talking about from the age of, say, 50 on, yeah. you, this should be a bit of a priority in your life. Yeah. The fact that you will be facing retirement, the fact that you know there are going to be changes in your life, and the question you're going to be asking yourself is, have I made pre- preparation for it? Yes, and, and that's really what we're about. We're trying to help people understand what happens when the world of work is no more or if they choose to reduce how much they work, so from full-time to part-time, for example. But the real issue in retirement is time. So most people, when you take commuting time plus working time plus commute home, are out of home for an average of 50 hours a week. Right. Ten a day, say, in a five-day week. Right. And when they retire, they get a present of those 50 hours a week, every week for the rest of their life. So the initial thought for most people is, will I have enough money for my retirement? The real issue is, what am I going to do with all of this time? Deal with the money first, because I think the money one is a real worry, because have I put enough aside for a pension? Okay, I'm assuming, now let's forget about the debate about this, about when the pensions are going to start in in political sense. Uh, It's a very important element of it, but work on the basis that ultimately you will be getting the state pension of about a, a thousand a month. Yeah. Um, But but you really would like to supplement that, wouldn't you? You would. And you can do that in many ways. So if you start saving for your pension while you're at work, then there's tax breaks on that and you get a tax break when you're taking money out of your pension. So it works really effectively as a way of saving for your pension. But in the Retirement Planning Council, we're not giving financial advice. What we will do is talk about what kind of things you might look at as an investment. But essentially, we're giving people a list of questions to ask their advisor. And we would say, try and find an advisor who's not tied to a financial institution, who's trying to sell you a product. Go to an organization like Brokers Ireland, which is an umbrella organization for financial advisors, and choose somebody locally who can give you good, independent advice. Okay. Derek Bell, thank you so much. Derek um, is with the Retirement Planning Council of Ireland and they're the people to contact if you're thinking of such matters as another chapter in your life. Thank you very much indeed. Well, as part of our occasional series in the podcast here, we're talking to people who might be able to give advice or introduce listeners to new facets of 
wellness, so to speak, in terms of physical health, mental health and whatever. And today I'm delighted to welcome Andy Franklin Miller, who is consultant physician in sport and exercise medication in the Sports Surgery Clinic in Santry in Dublin. That's a bit of a mouthful, Andy, isn't it? <laughs> it um, is. Okay, you're a consultant physician in sport and exercise medication. Now, the first thing I want to get out of this is you are involved with the Sports Surgery Clinic in Santry, and it's known as a sports clinic, obviously, in the title. But is it open to old-timers like me who would nearly feel I'd better dress up in an attractive tracksuit to go out there, or could I go out there in my ordinary every days and be accepted in uh, to get advice and consultation? Absolutely. Look, you know, even though we have sports very heavily in the name, um, we cater for exercise medicine, muscular pain, joint pain in everybody. You don't need to ever touch a golf ball or a football or run a half a meter to, to be a patient with ours. So uh, if you have pain or you need help in terms of uh, lifestyle or exercise, where your location? You can go, and it's out in Santry and all of those things. I'm going to concentrate today on um, illnesses that are kind of age-related. And I, I take it, and I know that uh, from your point of view, uh, it would be very important for some of these age-related illnesses, which I will get you to enumerate, um, that exercise becomes a very much a part of rehabilitation or of just ongoing uh, wellness. Absolutely, and that wellness and lifestyle term has lots of negative associations. We all know about social media and looking at fitness models and lifestyle bloggers with the latest fad, the latest diet, uh, the latest top exercise. And I think um, it's very easy to exclude a lot of the population, whether or not you're, you don't fit into that 20-something population you know, on a yoga retreat. Um, and I think that's where sport and exercise medicine can help significantly. So we're all physicians. Um, we've trained in medicine, hospital medicine. How broadly. many of you are there, by the way, out of the sports clinic? There are eight of us. We're the largest center of sport and exercise medicine in Europe. Sport and exercise medicine. Okay, so what else do you do in there? So, so it's broadly a, a mix. So where you might see an orthopedic surgeon expecting an operation in terms of needing some surgery, we see exactly the same shoulders, necks, arms, legs, feet, hips. ankles, hips, yeah. uh, backs, and as well as a population who are needing help to manage their other things going on with them. So how we know as we all get a little older, and we're likely to pick up a number of medications along the way, be it for raised blood pressure or yeah. type 2 diabetes, or, or even pain with osteoarthritis. Um, and trying to look at the latest research, a lot of these conditions have a huge benefit from starting exercise. What kind of exercise? Okay, say, say let's take um, blood pressure. I suppose that probably is the most common. I know arthritis would be, and I, I really am talking about the older generation, this, the age-related thing. Um, if, if it is blood pressure or uh, diabetes or, or any of these, what kind of exercise are you talking about? Well, look, it's a great question because the World Health Organization will tell us in a very broad terms, 150 minutes of exercise per week um, shows some evidence in reducing your blood pressure by 10 millimeters of mercury. So we know that there's two figures, a systolic and a diastolic pressure. So that's two pressures that people will have measured regularly. Um, drugs can take it down by a similar amount. So there are good studies that show 
irregular exercise can match the performance of drugs, which is great news for everybody, really, in terms of managing that. But the advice on what to do is very lacking. So is that... 10 minutes of brisk walking twice a day? Or that is it really is my question. Yeah, I yeah. mean, okay, so walking, uh, you said 10 minutes of walking, is that what you said? Well, if we got to get to 150 minutes a week, we've got to get three 10-minute walks in five days a week, which actually for some people is pretty tough. And so there are other ways of designing a program, and it's really a case when we have a consultation, it's a finding what excites you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? What do you like doing? Because there's no point in me telling you, listen, I'd like you to go and play five-a-side football. If it's the worst thing in the world for you, you don't even want to even think about it. Um, likewise, you might not be a golfer. So going out and spending two hours on a course might be a great way of getting in that 150 minutes of exercise to meet that criteria. But it's probably not going to push you hard enough um, in terms of brisk walking that we really need. So a lot of this is very individually designed. Would you say a half? Uh, you're talking about doing three 10 minute walks in a day, but actually it might suit better to just go for your one daily walk and make it a half hour. Would, uh, would a half hour fairly good walk be adequate exercise, do you think, in total for a day for somebody of advanced age? Absolutely right. However, the trick here is that it has to be at the right intensity. So in terms of the prescription of exercise, and we talk about that quite a lot in terms of it's a little bit like writing out a script for a medication, um, it's important to get the intensity right. So it's a voice that you should be out of breath enough to be able to maintain a conversation but not sing a song. So actually, you've got to be out of breath a bit just actually to make that beneficial. And very often, going for an amble probably isn't going to get you the benefit where that blood pressure fall will see yourself. So it needs to be prescribed in a way that you can go out there in order to struggle to to maintain that conversation um, so that you know you've got the right level of intensity. So it shouldn't be just a dawdle around the park. Absolutely right. You should be actually trying to put a bit of pace on it. Yes. Or even would you vary it? I mean, you go on an easy pit and then you you walk faster for a, a while, for 10 minutes, 5 minutes, whatever. Absolutely. And there's a piece of research which actually is, is quite valuable is that you can vary. It doesn't need to just be what we'd call aerobic exercise, so the brisk walking. Getting into a gym and lifting some weights, doing some resistance training can be of great benefit and you get more bang for your buck. So half yeah. an hour in the gym lifting some weights it's probably worth 60 minutes or so worth of the brisk walking. So if you're in a time poor or it's a struggle to yeah. get this right, um, then getting into the gym, doing a program there, you can d- get more out of less. If okay, you like. let's work on the basis, though, that people have an aversion to go into gyms or they feel they're too old to do it or they don't want to or they can't afford it. In terms of the exercises, then, they're going to do So, okay, that's walking, varying the pace, and building up to where you're nearly breathless or you're, you're certainly panting just a little bit by the end, right? That's one. That's walking. Now, give me another couple of exercises that you're talking about that are kind of not necessarily gym-related, but that you could do at home or around the neighborhood. Well, we take that a little step further and talk about intensity of exercise. So back in this prescription, get on a bike, get in the pool and do some swimming, but rather than just saying, well, look, you want 30 minutes of this or 40 minutes of it, it's really, again, research demonstrates that a concept called high-low or high-intensity exercise can actually be much more beneficial. So again, you might swim as fast as you can for 10 seconds, have a 40 or 50-second break, and swim fast as you can again for another 10 seconds. Do that 10 times. 
that's a great bit of exercise. Yeah. Um, and so it's the it's really getting the dose prescription of this right, yeah. rather than just doing it. And of course, we need to make sure that there are no reasons why that that particularly the high intensity work is safe enough to do putting in context everything else that's going on potentially with the patient. Yeah. Andy Franklin Miller of the Sports Surgery Clinic, thank you very much indeed. Pleasure. That's all from us for this week. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll join us again. The Senior Times podcast is produced by Conor O'Hagan and brought to you by Senior Times magazine in association with Zurich Expressway, Doro, and the Sports Surgery Clinic. This is Mike Murphy saying goodbye for now. Would you like to win a top-of-the-range iPhone, totally designed for an older person? Adoro are leaders in offering phones with clearer sound and larger text. One that's protected if it falls, can alert someone if you do, and gives your loved ones peace of mind. No worries, we've got it covered. To win this iPhone, answer this simple question. In which county was President Michael D. Higgins born? Email your answer to info at slp.ie or visit www.seniortimes.ie. To see the full range of Doro phones, visit www.doro.com. The lucky winner will be announced in episode two. If you have a free travel card, did you know that you can use it on expressway coach services all across Ireland? Travel from Cork City to Sligo Town, catch a flight from Dublin Airport or visit the home of the Titanic. Adventure awaits. And with reclining leather seats and free Wi-Fi, getting there is half the fun. Where will you go? Hop on board or visit expressway.ie. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not subscribe to Senior Times, the magazine and website for people who don't act their age. Or maybe you have a loved one or a friend who you know would love to read more. You can buy a subscription and have the magazine delivered direct to their door. To subscribe to Senior Times, visit www.seniortimes.ie or call Karen on 087 942 9381.